Welcome back to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast by Ruan. We are back from our summer break and so excited to share with you guys this week's interview with Dr. Jenna Hua, the founder of Million Marker. If you haven't heard, the 2023 fall cohort of the 40 Day Home Detox is open for enrollment and we are so excited to share this program with you. Registration closes September 17th and the program starts September 24th. So head to ruanliving.com to reserve your spot today and there will be more information and some links in the show notes so be sure to check those out just in the description of this podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this interview, please be sure to rate and leave us a review and you can find us on Instagram at ruanliving, online at ruanliving.com and you can email us at hello at ruanliving.com. All right, let's enjoy Dr. Jenna Hua. Hi, I'm Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book, A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures, and founder of Ruan Living, the only wellness lifestyle brand that simplifies practical non-toxic living. Welcome to my podcast. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures, host of the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast, and founder of Ruan Living, the only wellness lifestyle brand that simplifies practical non-toxic living. I'm about to record my next episode of the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast with my guest, Jenna Hua, who's founder of Million Marker. Million Marker has created a test that you can order online to send in your urine sample and have the most common toxic chemicals measured in your body. Based on your results, you'll then receive an assessment of the chemical exposures from things like your diet and household products, and you'll receive recommendations on how to reduce your exposures. Jenna Hua is the founder of Million Marker, and she has a really interesting background in academia with a special focus on nutrition and environmental health. And she did a postdoc fellowship at Stanford Medicine to study prevention of chronic disease. She'll be joining shortly, and we're going to be talking more about the Million Marker Kit and the chemicals you can measure and how that can empower you to reduce your toxic exposures because we'll also speak more about how environmental factors have a big influence on the genetic expressions. So there's a famous saying that genetics loads the gun, but environmental factors pull the trigger. We'll talk more about that. I'll have a list of lightning round rapid fire questions for her that are designed to inform you on the often overlooked opportunities we have to optimize our health, healing, and well-being. Oh, hi, Sophia. Hi, Jenna. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. It's so nice to see you again. Same here. Same here. I'm very excited. And where are you? Are you in Berkeley? I'm actually in Lake Tahoe. Oh, nice. Yes, it's a little bit cold. We're trying to get a little bit of skiing before the season's over. Great. 
Well, I just introduced you to my followers, you, your background, the highlights of it, and Million Marker. And I'm excited to just dive more into your personal journey of what led you to study nutrition, environmental health, disease prevention, and ultimately what inspired you to create Million Marker. And if you could touch upon even the like major degrees you you earned, I think that's so relevant to Million Marker. It would be great for you to include that as well. Okay. Oh my God. L- long story. I know. Um, <laughs> so I completed my undergrad at UC Berkeley. I pretty much did all my education at UC Berkeley. I did my undergrad in nutritional sciences. After that, I became a dietitian. Then I went back to Berkeley for graduate school, studied environmental health sciences in school of public health, where I got my master of public health and I went on to do a PhD. After my PhD, I did a, a postdoctoral fellowship at Stanford Medicine, specifically focusing on disease prevention. After my postdoc, that's when I decided to start Million Marker. I kind of feel all these fields that I learned kind of intertwined together and now it kind of allowing me to apply the knowledge I've learned in different fields actually into Million Marker. Because Million Marker, I think I want to say it's a, it's a company that we want to focus on environmental exposures, your total environmental ex- exposures. And all of these exposures could be from you, the food you eat, which connect to nutrition, the products you use, your home environment, your external environment. So all these things are all come to be part of the environment. So I felt a lot of stuff I learned that I can really apply because one other goal is uh, for Million Marker is uh, to actually provide actionable insights and then also making everyday consumer to equip them with the knowledge of uh, learning what's inside of them and also make something invisible visible to them that their exposure so they can do something about it. So going back to your undergraduate time when you were studying nutrition, starting then, you must have been learning things that had that gave you aha moments where you're thinking, wow, this is so important to our health. And ultimately you ended up focusing on on chronic disease prevention at Stanford. What are some aha moments that stood out that you think would be helpful for listeners to hear about very accessible opportunities we have to optimize our health? Yeah, so some of the aha moments with nutrition is, I think it's, maybe this is a little bit of a downer, is behavior change is hard. That's one of my aha moment is you really got to put in the work. People are saying you are what you eat. To some degree, it's true because if we don't put in the effort, you know, cooking homemade meal, if you just eat processed food, these things ultimately going to accumulate in your body. So you're, we call these like empty calories. So, you know, you're not getting, you're getting a ton of calorie, but it's not nutritious. So all these bad things just end up accumulating in your body. And not only one thing, another aha moment when I was doing nutrition is I felt it's, so I was studying where the, where people can buy their food. So I was studying the food desert, the food environment, the distribution of where we buy our food, where people have access to grocery store, all these things. And then another aha moment is I realized you know, it's not just about where people can buy their food. It's also what's in their food. We have like so many additives, pesticides, and all these things to go into our body. These things also impact. So it's both your external environment and your internal environment that 
kind of ultimately leads to your health conditions or your your health overall. So that was the aha moment. So at the time, I you know, if I can actually change the environment, then I don't have to tell people what to do. Because when I was a dietitian, I used to spend 15 to 30 minutes consulting patients. But you can't change someone's behavior in 15 to 30 minutes. This person needs to put in the work. And then you also need the external environment to actually support you to make these changes. So I was very frustrated with the medical system. Again, we're kind of like treating diseases. You know, I don't see a patient until they already have very severe diabetes or kidney disease and all these things. It's, it's very hard to change. You know, if you have pre-diabetes, making these changes can actually help you reverse these conditions. If you have these conditions already, if you're practicing healthy lifestyle, it can help you manage. But we just like don't spend enough time in, you know, prevention and then to let people do these things before they get sick. And because I don't see a patient until they're already very sick. So I, I think like I went back to school like, can we, you know, can we help people do something before they get sick? It's also not just about, you know, people getting sick. It's also about their quality of life. That was also another aha moment I had, you know, during graduate school, I was working really hard and, and then my health completely failed. And then with all my pregnancy, fertility struggles, I just realized health is everything. You know, if, if, you, if you don't have health, there's nothing you can do. You can have all the dreams you want. You can have, you know, plan all the trips and then hang out with friends. But if you don't have health, you just, you just don't feel good. And then you kind of just go downhill. So that was also another aha moment. Unfortunately, most people can't appreciate that health is everything until you're at the brink of maybe not having it. What did you learn about physicians' understanding about the role of prevention on health outcomes or their perspective on it? I think more and more physicians are becoming more aware, but I think the entire medical system is still based on treatment rather than prevention. Unfortunately, physicians also don't get enough education in medical school about nutrition, about environmental health. Most of them get one hour of a class on nutrition and nobody even get environmental health training unless, you know, you move on to your fellowship stage that you focus on environmental medicine. And even if you get to that stage, you still mainly focusing on occupational exposures rather than, you know, everyday exposures that ev average patients can actually, you know, take action and utilize. So unfortunately, we don't have that, which actually makes it really important for everybody, every average consumers to actually be your own health advocate, you know, understanding your own body and understanding your environment. So you can actually advocate for yourself, for your health. And also, you know, if one day you get sick, you know how also how to navigate the medical system and asking the right question. It's so important to ask the right questions. I have in my book, which came out in 2015, so it was so long ago, I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was shocking the percentage of medical schools that do study nutrition, it's not even half. It's like, it's so tiny, the percentage, and even fewer of them study environmental health and how that influences human health. So I just want to reiterate that because I assumed for a long time, even growing up with a doc father as a physician, I assumed that they knew everything about health. And it was really helpful for me as a patient to recognize what a small 
part of their training is focused on how something as simple as what you eat affects your health. So on the Million Marker website, you talk, it talks more about how getting feedback on your toxic exposures can influence fertility. I don't want to say outcomes, but like the chances, improves the chances of a more optimal fertility outcome. Would you talk more about that? Yes. So in terms of fertility, developmental timing really matters. So this means, you know, at a person's environmental exposure, the younger you get exposed to potential detrimental impact could have. So we really want people who are, you know, trying to conceive, even thinking about getting pregnant. That's like a really good time to understand your toxic chemical exposure, because that's the time that, you know, you're prepping for pregnancy. And if you get pregnant, your cell is like rapidly growing. And then this is the time that the chemical can do a lot of damage. Uh, we also think this is a time that you actually get the biggest bang for your bucks because you're learning this language, uh, you're learning this knowledge, you're prepping your body for a healthy environment. That's not just good for you, but it's actually good for your, your unborn kid. And once you, this kid is come, comes out, then you're kind of prep this kid for a whole lifelong kind of like, environmentally friendly environment for this kid to grow. So it's like a really, it's, it's this continuation of healthy lifestyle that you're equipped with. So we think this is like the best time. And also we have seen decades of study showing these chemicals impact IVF success if you're doing IVF. Sperm quality is, is a big one because we have seen sperm quality decreasing in the last 50 years and dramatically decreased. And then men makes other, you know, sperm makes the other side of this. Not just that, we have seen studies showing these chemicals are linked to child developmental issues. We've seen more allergies in kids. We've seen more ADHD and autism. And not only that, later in life, these chemicals are linked to breast cancer, testicular cancer, ovarian cancer, you name it. So it's like really, really important for people to actually understand the potential impact of these chemicals. Because one thing we don't want is, even though these chemicals are not going to kill you tomorrow, you don't feel it, but you don't really know when your cup's going to get full. And one day you become sick, then you would have this regret that I didn't do enough with my everyday life to get me to that stage. So what led you to create Million Marker? I created a million marker for two reasons. One is my out of my personal necessity. I had a lot of fertility struggles myself. And the after four super late stage miscarriages, most of the time doctor each time doctor just tells me, you know, good luck next time because they couldn't figure out what's and it was very dissatisfying to have that answer. We've done all the genetic testing and all any other tests possible. But at the time, because I studied this and I knew that these chemicals could have impact, I kind of wondered, oh, could it be triggering? Because the condition I had is almost as if I'm allergic to pregnancy. It's like whenever I get pregnant, everything just goes wrong. And then there's no clear reasons. So I thought, could I get a test like test my toxic chemical exposures. Could this triggering, you know, by detoxing, could I help myself? But then when I went to the doctor, they said the only test available from your regular OBGYN is a heavy metal. There's nothing else is available. But it was just like crazy to me that 
I knew these tests existed for decades because we've been running these tests for uh, the National Biomonitoring Program through the CDC. And we have this decades-long knowledge. Why are the doctor not knowing about this? And then why didn't I know about this before graduate school? And why didn't other people like other moms, you know, or couples trying to get pregnant not knowing this information? It was just really crazy to me. So I felt there needs to be this test. Even for me at the time, I felt even just get a, a sense of assurance. I can rule out this is this might be causing my condition. It was worth it to me. Professionally speaking, I was also very frustrated with the lack of data during my postdoc to actually even study these chemicals. So we have been studying these chemicals one at a time. We've been studying environmental exposure, one exposure at a time. But we're actually being exposed to so many things all at once. Yet there's like, we have no data to study it because without large data set, you can't really have enough power, statistically speaking, to actually study these chemicals because we'll just get too much noise. We can't really tease out what's impacting human health versus not. So I was very frustrated professionally that we don't even have tools for the scientists to you know, to go on to the next stage. Because if scientists doesn't study it, there's lack of science translation, which Sophia, you're doing a fantastic job by getting this information out to average consumer. We like a lot of people don't know. So I think there's gap in science translation, there's gap in research. And obviously there's like a gap in public policy because theoretically, like everyday consumer, we shouldn't be worried about these exposures like from products. Before a product put out, it should be safe already. But based on this glacier speed of public policy, we just have to take actions to protect ourselves. That's beautiful. I think often about how we humans, I was going to say in the United States, but it's kind of globally reacted to even whether we should all wear masks during the pandemic. And that was a reminder to me that it's even more important that individuals get informed and learn how to take care of themselves because it's going to be a long time, if ever, before government will look out for everyone. And maybe that's not their role. Yeah. So just to reiterate, we have so much untapped power to take better care of ourselves. So what are the key chemicals that this million marker kit will analyze? Yes. So we provide a mailing urine test kit. So we test for 13 chemical, common chemical metabolites. So we test for BPA, uh, BPA alternative, including BPS, BPF, five phthalates metabolite that's including both low molecular weight phthalate and the high molecular weight phthalate, four of the parabens, as well as the oxybenzone. So all these chemicals are common everyday chemicals that in everyday products, personal care product, home cleaning product, plastics. So these are also transient chemicals that, you know, if you eliminate your exposures, you can actually see a huge change in terms of body burden of one from the test of these chemicals. So with these chemicals, I know there's a list of chemicals, but generally how quickly can our body eliminate them if, if we just cut our exposures? Theoretically speaking, we can cut them out within 24 to 48 hours. However, everybody's physiology is very different. So you might be a slow metabolite, but you have, might have slower metabolism compared to others. So then for the, you know, for you, then you might detox out these chemicals a little bit slower. 
but the key is you should prevent exposures as much as possible for these chemicals. So earlier we talked about how little science there is, science, how little under scientific understanding there is on most chemicals out there. But there are some that we do understand well, and the ones that Million Marker tests for, we do understand. Would you talk more about what we understand about the health risks from the chemicals that Million Marker tests for? Yes. So these chemicals are what we call hormone-disrupting chemicals or endocrine-disrupting chemicals. You can kind of understand if you know hormones, you know, hormone actually governs and regulates every single, almost every single bodily function you have from sleep to your mood to growth. Um, everything is regulated by a hormone. And a hormone acts at such tiny amount. You don't need a lot to, for the hormone to make an impact in your body. And the hormone works in very delicate manner. It's like a symphony. So you never want your keys or your instrument to out of sync. And they work in these kind of lock and key functions. So when you have foreign substance, these hormone disruptors comes in, they pretty much mess with your hormone. They just, they disrupt. So then your hormone is not in sync and then they cause a downstream, a ton of impact. Again, thinking about how hormone impacts your body, your mood, your sleep, your metabolism, your growth all these impacts. So, you know, if you have these hormone disruptors comes in, then you just have these issues. And then we mentioned that, you know, they have been linked to IVF failure, egg quality, sperm quality, child development, ADHD, breast cancer, diabetes, and even weight loss. So all these things could impact. And that's why we really want to care about it. And then this is something that, you know, we can actually do something about, right? There's a whole class of chemical that we're currently don't test. There are more persistent chemicals. I think those things, they live in your body for a long time. There's less we can do about them. But this are also these means, the PFCs? Yes. So forever chemicals, those are persistent chemicals. Some of the pesticides are also persistent chemicals like, you know, DDT. So if you scan, if you screen for someone's, you know, blood today, you will still see DDT in, in our bodies. Even, even though, though it's banned decades ago. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So this makes make preventing additional chemical exposures from these transient chemicals even more important because you don't want to put in more because these chemicals could also have additive effect that they can cause even more damage when you add them all together. We should talk more about that. I think that's not talked about as much as the cocktail effects. Yes, we actually don't know a ton about the cocktail effect, but actually just like last month, a pretty impressive study that done by the EU that showing mothers with this cocktail effect, they have BPA, phthalates, and PFAS exposures. Higher ex mothers with higher exposures are actually having three times the risk um, of their babies having learning delays, language learning delays when the kid is growing up. And then what's more impressive is... Uh, we're not just seeing associations in human body. This group of scientists actually made this cocktail and, and experimented this cocktail on human stem cells as well as animal models. So showing causal impact of these chemicals, this cocktail actually making things worse and is impacting neurological development in children. So it's, a, it's, it, it's real that, you know, you really don't want extra toxic chemicals in your body because they do add up. Right. And one exposure can make another one even more harmful 
There's some examples of that in, in some studies with like DDT and some others, but it's this is just another reason to be as conservative as possible. And A to Z of detoxing talks about this more in depth if anyone wants to learn more. Before I get into a list of lightning round rapid fire questions, which I'm, I, I love this part of the interview, I wanted to ask upon, well, first of all, I'm really sorry about the miscarriages that you experienced. I can imagine what that was like. In hindsight, after all that you've learned since, do you have theories as to what contributed to that? to those miscarriages? Because I, do you now have children? I don't have children still. So um, for me, it's a really complicated case. I have two super rare conditions that only happens during pregnancy. And until today, the doctors still don't really know um, why I have these conditions. So I think if I wanted to have kids one day, we would either have to go through a surrogacy or to go through adoption. So those are like my two options, which I actually wish people talk more about, you know, fertility struggles, miscarriages to normalize it. Because while I was going through the, the struggle, I, I kind of felt that people talk about it more. So I don't feel so isolated. One thing I found out is I started talking to my friends and talking to families after my second miscarriage. And people, once I opened up, people also opened up and and then they started giving you suggestions and, and it just you started creating this community that you can actually open up to people. So I just feel we need to talk more about it. You know, it's not our fault. I mean, this happens. It's unfortunate. But then we need to figure out ways how to move forward. And I also think because people don't talk about it, oftentimes this is also not really brought to the attention for physicians and for others. I kind of just imagined <laughs> as a scientist, I kind of imagined what if we have all the data from, you know, people experiencing miscarriages and different conditions? If we have this data, then we can actually really study it. Because you'd think like humans being reproducing for thousands of years, we would have figured out <laughs> all the fertility problem people might have, but not really. There's so it's almost a wild west that there are so many things we don't know. I just received a comment saying, I agree, normalize talking about miscarriages. They're very common, much more common than most people realize, as you've been saying, and it is very lonely. And it's becoming more common. Even people in their 20s are having a harder time more than ever conceiving. Yes. yes. And I, I also just wish I knew, you know, I'd been educated on these toxic chemicals when I was much younger. I just like, thought about back back in high school everybody is using you know uh bath and body you know those like really good smelly lotions like super strong and now we realize oh great there's like so much phthalates in these things and other toxic chemicals that we've been putting on our body for like decades before we even knowing about this because i didn't learn this until i was in graduate school until i started thinking about having kids but I just had no idea whether this, like, you know, was it my previous exposure causing me having these issues? And there's no way to tell. And, and scientifically and ethically speaking, we can't really do a study like this. You know, we can't exposing people today to learn, you know, what's going to happen to their body 
we just can't do this. So this, I think this makes prevention even more important for the next generation. Now for our generation, we have learned this could be really, really detrimental. Then we want, you know, the next generation to equip with this knowledge. So they don't, as teenagers, you know, as they go through puberty at the time where their hormone is like fluctuating, then please don't expose like your teenagers or, or equip with teenagers with this knowledge so they don't expose their body to these toxic chemicals that could have, you know, downstream impact, you know, when they're in their 30s and trying to have kids, then they would have these issues. Are you familiar with the studies on the body burden in wildlife and the health outcomes we're seeing in wildlife with the, the, with the wildlife that have high body burdens of things like PCBs and DDT? I've heard many studies like that. So Theo Corbin is uh, one of the leading scientists exposed to this. And then she, she studied the fish and uh, again, wildlife. And then there's also another professor studied atrazine in like frog populations. So atrazine is also, also a common pesticide, persistent pesticides. That's actually turning male frog to female frog in nature. That's very scary. And then we use so many chemicals that's like toxic to marine life, to aquatic life. Even though we don't have studies on human, it's like, okay, <laughs> if it's toxic to marine life, it, it can't be good for humans. And a lot of these chemicals are still in our drinking water because exactly. our, water, our treatment systems haven't been designed to filter these out. Exactly. So... This can be really overwhelming for listeners, but I want to remind everyone that Million Marker is actually super empowering because it teaches you about the exposures you have, you have control over that are easy to avoid by just buying something different or eating differently. So before, okay, I'm going to now ask you what you wish more people knew about a kind of long list of things, but I think it'll be a, a more, it'll be an efficient way to inform people. So what do you wish more people knew about our toxic exposures? I think I wish people knew that these chemicals are everywhere, but you can take small steps to eliminate them. Behavior change is hard. We kind of talked about it but you can always start small. So I think that's like one thing I wish people to know. And I, I also wish all the parents know, the, equipped with this information. So not only helping themselves, they are also helping their kids. So that's another thing I wish I knew. The third thing I wish I knew is it, it takes work. So you have to make a commitment to it's, there's no magic bullet. You, you, you really got to put in the work to make it work. This is, I guess this is easily say than done, but I really want people to take smaller steps to make changes in their daily life. That's also something that, you know, I wish I knew. There's this amazing woman, Nita Ewald. Her business is Path to Fertility. She just wrote, this is such an important topic, especially for those planning to conceive. Thank you, Nita. Thank you. What do you wish more people knew about fertility? I think I wish more people knew that, you know, they need to understand their own body because if you don't understand your own body, you cannot be your own. Because, you know, if I knew my body, you know, before I go through all these miscarriages, maybe I, I would have asked the right question. And I think getting a second opinion is always important and also be your own advocate because you yourself know your body the best. And then oftentimes physicians, will miss things and you have to, you know, facilitate and actually 
put, put all the informations in front of them so they can actually help you make decisions. And I think that's, that's really important. And I, sometimes I have, I've heard physicians complaints about patients knowing too much, <laughs> but I, I kind of feel that you can never know too much because you should always ask the questions about your body, about even questioning the physician's decisions. So I think this is really, really important. What do you wish more people knew about our children's health? I wish people knew that environment really matters. So not just the physical environment, right? It's your, both your outdoor environment, your indoor environment, your social environment. All these things can impact your, your children. Really, really important. And these exposure, you know, today we talk a lot about, you know, bad exposures, right? There are actually good exposures. For example, green space is really important. So that's actually a good exposure that, you know, having more green space, that's good for your health, obviously, as well as your children's development. What do you wish more people knew about diet? Oh, diet. I think this reflects back to it takes time to change diet and then you are what you eat. So if you put in the effort, you will see, you will see a change. That's something I, I, yeah, I wish more people knew about it. And uh, I also wish more people knew that processed food is bad. Lots of additive goes into processed food. I mean, we're hoping one day we can actually, as a company, we can also tackle food additives. You know, some of the food additive we can also test and then bring to people's attention. But that's also a whole wild west. One simple example, which I didn't learn until I started Million Marker, is that Paraben is a common preservative, not only used in personal care products, it's also used in processed food. However, manufacturers don't label parabens as paraben because, you know, when you buy a personal care product, we already see there's a movement in clean beauty that manufacturers start label paraben free, no paraben on personal care products. However, in a packaged food, paraben is actually labeled as a high hydroxybenzoic acid. So it's like complete different name. So, you know, you learn how to recognize paraben in personal care product, but you don't know this is the same chemical used in processed food. My next question is related to a paper you published about rice and arsenic. What do you wish more people knew about rice and arsenic? So I wish more people knew that arsenic is actually a naturally occurring chemical metal. So your rice could have some arsenic exposure, but arsenic is also in a lot of pesticides. So this actually makes eating organic, one, really important. Second is, you know, if you're Asian like me, I eat a lot of rice. This makes washing rice is also re really important because we dig into, you know, how do we, you know, decrease arsenic exposure even for the, the naturally occurring one. So some study have shown washing rice could actually help. So make sure you, you know, you wash your rice before, before cooking it. Okay, now I have some more questions about rice because <laughs> my family eats rice too. Are you picky about the type of rice, like white rice or brown rice or jasmine or bas basmati? I think, I think there's a dilemma here because some studies have shown like brown rice would have a higher arsenic exposure compared to white rice or other type of rice. However, if you think about nutrition, brown rice has more fiber. Um, it's more nutritious, less uh, carbohydrates, a simple carbohydrate compared to white rice. So brown rice, nutrition-wise, it's a lot better. So it's sort of a, a dilemma. I felt like I wouldn't stress about it, that 
you know, if you have a tradition eating basmati rice, I will not change to, you know, other things. And if you're eating white rice, yeah, sure, blending some brown rice to increase that fiber. I think that's good. So I wouldn't stress out too much about what type of rice, but make sure you definitely wash your rice before you cook because all of these rice will have some arsenic content. So make sure you wash it, at least you're decreasing that part of it. So how do you wash your rice? So I soak the rice first. I always soak the rice, especially for brown rice, I would because it's easier to cook. So I would soak my rice for about half a day and I, I drain that water and I wash it another three times. And that's before I start cooking. And what do you do about white rice? I do the same thing. Same thing. Okay. So you soak for about half a day. Yes. What do you wish more people knew about our ability to detox our daily exposures? You can detox. So believing in your body. So your body actually have this natural metabolism. That's the, the test that we provide. We actually test for body metabolites, right? So your body have the ability. So trust your body is really important, but more importantly is understanding, be a, you know, be a conscious consumer because by purchasing a better product, by using better product, watching out for your diet, you are decreasing your exposure. But at the same time, you're actually voting with your dollars because a lot of these chemicals are in plastics, plasticizers, and I will have already heard, you know, how polluting plastic plastic is. And now we're just not having, you know, the big plastic, we actually have microplastic, which scientists are, you know, really trying to learn what, what's the health impact of these microplastic, because they're so small, they can literally penetrate everything. And, and then because they're microplastic, and then, you know, BP and phthalates are major plasticizers, BP and phthalate could contain up to 80% of in the plastic. So these microplastic will carry these chemicals. So we, we don't actually don't know today what microplastic is, is going to do in our body, but we have already seen some studies in animal models that they pretty much cause the same impact, if not worse, as these chemicals that we just talked about. So, you know, by voting with your dollars, choosing a better product, it's not only not good for your own health, but it's also good for the environment. Conscious consumers have the power to change what manufacturers create. Like we have examples of that with yeah, absolutely. retailers making baby products that are free of BPA. We don't know if the replacement formulas are safer, but consumers have a lot of power. So earlier we talked about how governments are maybe not the best authorities to protect us from all toxic exposures and we should be our own advocates, but we can also let manufacturers know that we want safer products and they'll respond. Absolutely. I was going to say something I forgot. <laughs> It'll come to me later. What do you wish more people knew about our hormones? I wish people are more educated on our hormones and also how important our hormones are. I think there's a lack of knowledge there. You know, if you just go on the street, you ask people what hormone is. Most of the time, people don't know what hormone is. Uh, but hormone is just so important and you just never want to mess with your home. I think, I think as female, we probably appreciate this a lot more because, you know, you get your period every month. And then sometimes we call, call we talk about PMS, you know, all these symptoms and all these, uh, or if you go through menopause that you have hot flashes, all these are kind of like controlled by your hormones. So I wish people knew more about, you know, the, the different functions of hormones, because then you can 
better appreciate your hormones and also making sure that you don't want to mess with it. I also couldn't really appreciate the role of hormones until pregnancies when I realized week by week how hormones were guiding the development of human life. And have you read much about the fetal origins of adult onset diseases? I have not read those. I have some knowledge during graduate school. This is why we're saying that, you know, exposure in in utero is actually really, really important. You know, a long time ago, we thought these chemicals is not, are not going to cross the placental barrier, but we were actually wrong. These chemicals do cross placental barriers, so mother's exposure definitely will pass on to the children. Right. And so in utero, if you're exposed to hormone-disrupting chemicals, that can affect the development of your brain, your heart, reproductive mm-hmm. system, respiratory system, everything, your biological foundation. So later on in life that's when you might notice, you'd be alerted to how toxic exposures affected you. But this is, again, just another reason why you want to be as conservative as possible. But hormones also continue to have major influence during puberty, probably menopause, and all stages in between and after. I remember when you said placenta, I remember what I was going to say. Did you, or ask, did you read about the studies last year about microplastics being found in placenta? Oh, yes. Yes. Read yeah. about that study. It's, it's actually scary. And I think there are studies even showing they found microplastic in brain, in people's brain when they dissected the brain. And uh, unfortunately, that's also where we found. In human brain? Yes, in human brain. Wow. Okay. Cleaning. Clean Living Nurses writes, thank you for sharing your story, loving the concept of your product. Majority of people need those black and white numbers to make changes. Thank you for your comment. What do you wish more people knew about hormone disruptors? I wish more people knew about the concept of hormone disrupting chemicals and also understanding their impact. Because, you know, if people don't even know about hormones, let alone hormone disrupting chemicals, I also wish more people would take these chemicals more seriously because, again, they're kind of invisible. You don't really see them and you don't really feel their impact like the next day. So a lot of people think this is, you know, vitamin versus painkiller, right? It's not it's it's really not causing me anything. So I don't want to pay attention. I don't want to be overwhelmed. But I think this is the wrong mindset because because we we really want to have a good life down the road and then we want to prevent diseases. So I, I wish more people would take it more seriously and, and actually do something about it. How did you start detoxing your life? Where did you start? I definitely, I, I started thinking about where my exposures are coming from. And I think an easy way to start, start thinking is where I get my most exposure what kind of product I use the most. I wash my hair every day. So immediately I thought about the shampoo and you also use shampoo in large amount. So that's one, that's the first thing I start looking at it. So my personal care product are the first thing. And I also, I look in my kitchen, right? We talk about PFAS and nonstick pans and all these things. So I start looking at my kitchen because also if you, when you change your kitchen, you only change it. Most of the time you, you just change it once. You don't, you don't have to constantly buying kitchen equipment, right? You change it once and then it's done. And changing out all the plastic containers, changing all the saran wrap to be wax wrap. So the kitchen and also getting a water filter, which which you talked about. 
those are all the things I started with. Then I started thinking about, you know, the smaller things, because one thing I kind of like discovered while I was uh, doing testing on myself. One, two things I found out is, which was really surprised, I, I got really surprised, was that sometimes vitamin capsule could be made of phthalates. So if it's not a vegetarian-based capsule, they could potentially be made of phthalates. And that's something that I was surprised to find out. Another surprising thing that I found out was packaging tape actually have phthalates too. So, you know, make sure you wash your hands after you touch your packaging tape or maybe wear a, a pair of gloves when you touch your packaging tape. So those were the surprising things I found out during my, during my detox journey. But I also want to say, even though I'm super aware of these things, there's so much more that I can do that I'm slowly doing. So I, one thing I also wish I knew is like, I don't want people to be overwhelmed because oftentimes when people are overwhelmed, they just don't do any. So this is also really important. Do small things. You don't have to change everything all at once. Just slowly, you can slowly change out the product you're using, your lifestyle behavior, your diet and everything else. I think it's very similar to eating healthy and exercising regularly. Yes. There are very few people who do that perfectly. Most people know there's more they can do, yes. but this pillar of health of our toxic exposures should just be on the map. It's not even on the map for most people. Oh, absolutely. And I also feel that this is obvious This we have not done a study like this. And I have always had the hunch that if people start detoxing, thinking about where your exposure are coming from, you can actually help change your dietary habit as well as your exercising habit. Because a lot of chemicals are also in our food, from packaged food, from how you prepare your food, you know, what do you use in the kitchen? So if you practice, you know, a healthy diet and having the, the healthy diet, dietary habit, you're actually already limiting a lot of toxic chemical exposures. And by, you know, going out, breathing fresh air, less indoor air quality, you know, pollution exposure, or, and by exercising, sweating out uh, toxins, you're also detoxing. So I feel like these things are all kind of like are interconnected, you know, by doing healthy practicing one healthy behavior, lifestyle behavior, you will actually will potentially increasing the rest. Absolutely. So after detoxing, did you feel differences in your energy, your cognitive abilities? Did you notice any improvements? I felt like I think more clearly or minimally, I feel better um, that I'm doing things. And I know for sure that I'm doing everything right. So, you know, down the road, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be regretting that I haven't done things that I didn't do. Right. So I think that that makes me feel pretty good. And at the same time that I'm pretty conscious now, pretty conscious about all the food items, because, you know, it's pretty easy to swap out products. But again, as you said, practicing healthy, you know, eating habit, is still hard because people love convenience. And then when I get busy, I also love that convenience. But now since I have the thinking about detoxing, I'm actually paying much more attention on what I'm eating and on what I'm doing. Okay. I still have a long list to get through. So I'm going <laughs> to go, I could talk to you for hours. What do you wish more people knew about our skin? Mm, that's an interesting one. Our skin is actually the largest organ in your body, you know, because it covers everything. So your 
exposure through your skin is actually really, really important. So by putting stuff on your skin, it will impact your exposure. But also knowing that your skin is constantly regenerating, right? So if you eliminate exposure, you take care of yourself, it's going to show on your skin. What do you wish more people knew about our immune system? Oh, take care of your immune system. Uh, immune system is really important. We also knew these chemicals impact your immune system. Again, your diet, your sleep, your stress level, your exercise, all these things also impact your immune system. So if you don't have an immune system, you know, you're just going to get sick more often, which is no good. What do you wish more people knew about our, no, about immunotoxicants? Oh, gosh. Immunotoxicants, they're probably the worst, but many of these hormone-disrupting chemicals are actually immunotoxicants. Would you wish more people knew about our skincare, beauty, and personal care products? Knowing all the, these products out there, not all of them are safe. This comes back to be a conscious consumer. Please read the labels. Whenever you see fragrance, definitely opt that out. That's almost the code for phthalates. <clears throat> opting for fragrance-free. Don't buy in the, the label as aroma or unscented because those will still have phthalates. So please read labels. We actually have a long list. of We have a chemical glossary on our website listing out a lot of these toxic chemicals that often appear on labels. So if people are interested, definitely check it out. What do you wish more people knew about sunscreen? Huh. <clears throat> Sunscreen opt out for oxybenzone or benzophenol. That's a, a chemical we test for, a hormone disrupting chemical. It also kills a lot of coral reefs. So when you look for sunscreens, make sure you don't have those. What do you wish more people knew about our cleaning products? Cleaning product is the same thing that it could have these toxic chemicals. So I would choose something really simple. Making sure your cleaning product have uh, less ingredients listed. You can always use vinegar and baking soda. Is that how you clean your home? <clears throat> uh, most of the time, yes. How or what do you wish more people knew about plastics? Plastic is bad for the environment and for our plastic is everywhere. I also don't want people to be overwhelmed. We have this very complicated relationship with plastic. It's really convenient, but at the same time, knowing plastic just, it's, it's almost a, as a design failure. It doesn't degrade and recycling actually doesn't work. Recycling is the best example for why we can recycle some of the stuff, but a lot of recycled stuff, they can only be used once, probably like less than 10% can be reused again. So the best way with plastic is to um, eliminate your use of plastic. Not only you're decreasing your toxic chemical exposure, again, you're making a greener, sustainable environment for your children or for the generation later to come. I ask people rather than to focus on eliminating plastics because it feels impossible for most people to just re to avoid Reduce. it when, when they don't mind avoiding it. And I think that helps. What do you wish more people knew about vinyl? Oh, okay. Vinyl, actually, one of the vinyl component is actually phthalate. And this comes with, you know, flooring, right? If you're remodeling your hardwood floor or en even engineering wood is much better than vinyl. They are, they are more expensive, unfortunately, but consider this as, a, you know, a one-time investment. So it's because once you put it in, you're, you have it for, for, for many, many years. So think about your exposure. Would you wish more people knew about our drinking water? 
our drinking water is very contaminated. So please, if you can use a, a water filter, any filter is better than no filter. But if you can choose a reverse osmosis water filter, please do that. What do you wish more people knew about disease prevention? Disease prevention is very important. It takes work, just as what we said, you know, in this, in this entire IG life. By, prevent, by focusing more on disease prevention, you will have a better quality of life down the road. And when I think about quality of life, it's not only just your quality of life. If you're sick, you're actually impacting your family members, your kids, your parents, your partner. You're impacting everybody around you. So by preventing disease, uh, not only you're making your life better, you're, you're also making everyone else's life better. What do you wish more people knew about genetics? Uh-huh. This is a, one of my favorite topics. I wish people knew genetics, not everything. Genetic actually only accounts for about 30% of your chronic disease risk. The rest of them are your environment. Not saying genetic don't matter, but genetic only matter to a certain degree. So your environment will actually activate any potential condition you have with, the, with your genetics. So definitely pay more attention to your environment. Two more questions. What do you wish more people knew about healing? Healing takes time. So please take your time. And then also knowing that your body can heal. Last question. It's very similar, but I'm going to ask it anyways, because it might not be the same thing as healing. But what do you wish more people knew about resiliency? I think resiliency can be many different ways. So your body has a resilience, right? And it, it has to do with healing. But I also think that this emotional resilience is also really, really important. And this has to do with your stress levels. If you're, if you're more resilient, maybe you will be less prone to stress. And we know stress is not good. So knowing about resilience, practicing your resilience, that's also really, really important. Those are all my questions. Thank you so much for your time today, but also using your experiences to create Million Marker, which empowers people to learn a more customized approach to optimizing the factors for the highest quality of life that they can experience. This is a really amazing offering. For those of you who want to follow Million Marker, please do. It's at million underscore marker on Instagram and Facebook. You can also follow Jenna on Twitter at, what's your Twitter handle? Oh, it's just Jenna underscore Hua, H-U-A. So wonderful. This will all be in the show notes below. And if you would like to order a Million Marker kit, you can enjoy $10 off with code Ruan Living. And I earn an affiliate fee for that for full disclosure. Again, that will all be in the show notes. Jenna, thank you so much. It's been an honor getting to know you and Million Marker. What you're doing will help so many people. Thank you so much, Sophia, for having me. And thank you for the work you do. I just really love all the science translation you do because I think this is what's also lacking as a scientist that we're actually not trained how to get the scientific knowledge back to the consumers. So really, really appreciate what you do. 
we're trying to do the same at Million Marker, but obviously you're a pioneer in this. So I also urge everybody who's listening, check out Sophia's book and then guidebook. And then you also have those workbook, which we're going to be listing on our website to let our users also know about your work. Thank you, Jenna. That means a lot because when I was learning about the science, I thought, this is so interesting and so relevant. And there's so many gaps in knowledge and communication between the scientific community, the medical community, the public. And so I've been trying to bridge the gaps, but I will follow up with you. I would love to partner with you. I'm creating a home detox adventure to try and get people to want to change. Because as we've talked about, the behavioral change is so hard Mm -hmm. and I want people to want to change and to enjoy it. Absolutely. Love it. Thank you so much for having me. More from us soon. Thank you for (laughs) your time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. For podcast show notes, visit www.ruanliving.com, spelled www.ruan is a non-toxic living.com. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. And if you'd like to support it, please like it and share it. Until next time.